and say, hey, if you simply pipe a new gas instead of methane, pipe hydrogen to the boundary of my plant, I switch fuels, make a few changes to the technology to enable you to burn that 100% hydrogen, I've now got a carbon-free power plant. Call it the easy button for some of our customers as they think about it. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Cutting Carbon, a conversation about our energy future. I'm here today with Brian Kuknick, head of marketing for GE Gas Power. Again, that's the gas turbine division for General Electric. Brian, good day. Hey, good day, Jeff. It's great to be back. So, Brian, we've had this great conversation about climate change, why it's so important. We've talked about the different ways one measures reducing carbon, scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. We've talked about kind of the terminology. How do we measure that? But I want to talk today about something a little different. I wanted to talk today about the journey, right? We know today that about 25% of the world's electricity comes from natural gas. What's the future going to be like as we think about decarbonization? What happens to the use of natural gas in the future? Yeah, no, it's a great point, Jeff. So here's what most third parties would basically say is they've looked at this outlook, is they said the gas generation is actually going to grow over the next decade. As a percentage of total generation, it may start to decline very slightly, but on absolute terms, the generation from gas should grow and grow a decent amount, about a 1.4, or 1.5% kind of CAGR growth rate over the next decade. And you can say, okay, why is that? The big opportunity here, Jeff, is natural gas as an alternative to coal generation. You know, the world today gets about a third of its electricity from coal. Gas generation emits less than half the carbon emissions per kilowatt hour of a coal plant today. And so the extent to which we can shift from coal to gas or coal to renewables firmed by gas, I think is is where we want to go to help address climate change. And gas has several attributes that really make it a good tool in this pathway towards decarbonization. We talked about it's cleaner than coal, half the carbon emissions, so you could shift at scale from coal to gas. It also enables greater renewables. And what do I mean by that? You know, renewables are carbon-free power, but the challenge that you have with renewables is they're not always available. The sun isn't always shining at its full strength. The wind isn't always blowing at the speed necessarily required for generation. But you'd like to take advantage of them being a free fuel source that's carbon-free whenever they are available. But you need something to firm that up. When that wind stops blowing or the sun stops shining, something that can ramp up quickly to meet that demand. And gas is a flexible alternative that really allows it to play and complement renewables and grow together with renewables. And gas turbines do this already today, right? Many gas turbines do what we call grid following. So as the electricity on the grid goes up, as demand goes up and down, gas turbines will go up and down in their load to compensate. So gas turbines already do that. So I guess that means they've already got that ability to do that fast ramp up and fast ramp down. They do, Jeff. And I would say historically, we've relied on simple cycle, flexible turbines like aeroderivative gas turbines to provide some of that flexibility. More recently, technology investments in combined cycles have made the advanced combined cycle almost as flexible, being able to start very quickly the total plant, ramp it up and down very quickly, turn down to low part loads when the renewables are available that can then ramp up when needed. And so you're right, the capability exists and it makes it a nice partnership with renewables 
to me, really enables greater renewables than you would otherwise maybe be able to put on a grid. So I think gas definitely plays an important role today and one that's going to continue to need to be there for quite some time to come. When I think about this, though, we talk about backing up renewables. You know, we're talking about these scenarios where sunset comes, sun goes down, your solar output basically goes away. It's a very windy day, and then the front comes through in there, and there's no wind. So we're talking about these short transients. But I can also imagine these scenarios where it's not a couple hours where you've lost your renewables. You know, what if you're living someplace and you've got a pretty heavy storm front coming through and it's day after day of cloudy weather or, you know, kind of the dog days of summer where you might have a high pressure front kind of locked overhead and then there's no wind. And now you need something that can back up the grid, not from a a couple hours, but days worth of power. And I think that, at least in my head, right, when I think through this, that's beyond the scale of a battery. That means we've got to go back to very traditional technologies where we have lots of energy storage in the form of natural gas. I mean, isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You know, a couple of things I would say. One is renewables, you know, we lump them together as one. Hey, we talk renewables. The reality is solar and wind are very complementary to one another as well. Sun obviously shining during the day, you know, peaking in mid-afternoon, often when towards the same time as demand for electricity is towards its highest on a hot day, for example. As the sun is setting, wind speeds often pick up in the evening. So there's this complementary nature within renewables themselves. If you then add storage, to your point, storage is becoming very economical for short durations. I can now maybe extend the electricity I could capture from the sun for hours until after the sun is set and then start to dispatch that power. But the challenge that we haven't solved yet is how do you provide that dependable capacity for longer durations? To your point, it could be cloudy for a couple of days straight. You know, you could have, we've experienced periods of extended low wind conditions for maybe a week at a time, and then a a cycle comes through and you get wind speeds picking up again. It's those kind of longer durations where today gas plays a very important role providing that dependable capacity for an extended period of time. I think the real challenge for us, Jeff, is, look, in the short term, gas is cleaner than coal and it provides that dependable capacity for duration. I think the challenge is, as we've talked in previous episodes, at some point we've got to completely decarbonize the power sector. So one of the things we need to think about, how can we continue to provide that dependable capacity but do it uh, using gas plant technology, but do it in a decarbonized fashion. So maybe Jeff, you could share with us, what are some of the technical options at our disposal to think about gas plants, either new ones or existing ones that could be either very low carbon or zero carbon in the future? Brian, it's a great question. I think we can separate this into two categories. The first I'll call pre-combustion options. And the second I'll call post-combustion options. A pre-combustion option implies that the fuel that goes into the gas turbine has low carbon, zero carbon, or maybe is sourced in such a way that it has recycled carbon. So examples of that would be hydrogen, synthetic methane, biofuels. And the one that everyone talks about today is hydrogen. And and that's because the molecule is H2. There's no carbon in it whatsoever. It's truly a, a zero carbon fuel. 
Yeah, there definitely is a lot of interest. I can tell you that. Many of our customers very excited about hydrogen. Many countries around the world putting ambitious plans in place to utilize uh, hydrogen as a path towards decarbonization. You know, for me, Jeff, a few things as you think about hydrogen. We've got capability to burn that in our gas turbines. And as you said, you know, to generate no carbon emissions associated with it. And I think why our customers are excited about it is they can look at an existing gas generation plant and say, hey, if you simply pipe a new gas instead of methane, pipe hydrogen to the boundary of my plant, I switch fuels, make a few changes to the technology to enable you to burn that 100% hydrogen, I've now got a carbon-free power plant. Call it the easy button for some of our customers as they think about it. You're listening to Cutting Carbon. I'm your host, Jeff Goldmere. If you have a question on today's episode, a question on decarbonization in general, or a suggestion for a future episode of this podcast, drop me a note. You can reach me at cutting.carbon at ge.com. Jeff, we started the conversation talking about there's kind of pre-combustion, there's post-combustion. So we talked about hydrogen on the pre-combustion side. Talk to us some about post-combustion. So post-combustion just basically says that let the gas turbine run on natural gas. And today, if we do that, the CO2 that it makes will just go up the exhaust stack of the system. But in the future, what we do is we'll put in a system in place of that traditional exhaust that will allow us to literally capture the carbon from the exhaust gas. It's a chemical process by which you use a chemical, whether it be a liquid or solid, that has an affinity for CO2, and it grabs onto it. So those systems can capture somewhere around 85 or 90% of the CO2. So it's not truly reducing you to zero, but it is taking out almost all of the carbon. And the great thing is, this is not a new system. This is something the world has been doing for many years. So you do need more land. You're going to go to some degree what you could call a chemical plant. But it's reasonably straightforward. In many cases, what you'll do is you'll take your exhaust from the gas turbine. It'll flow through the system. It'll come into contact with this chemical. If it's a liquid, it's a solvent. If it's a solid, it's a sorbent. And it will capture the CO2. Now you've got to go kind of release that. And in many cases, that release process, so you basically take the CO2 out of the solvent or the sorbent, and then you capture it. And that's when you can compress it, put in a pipeline. Well, that process typically requires heat. And that's where integration, where the gas turbine and its power plant systems come into play because gas turbines typically have lots of heat and we can tap into some of that heat, whether it be from the gas system itself or the what we call the bottoming cycle or the steam turbine. Well, Jeff, we flipped roles a little bit here today. I was asking more of the questions, but you provided a lot of great clarity today on the technologies. I'm excited about the path forward and appreciate you uh, providing clarity on the technology. Brian, it's been my pleasure. And I hope right as we think about it coming up in future episodes, we're going to really dive deeper into some of the technologies we talked about today. What does it mean to use hydrogen in a gas turbine? What are the different sources of hydrogen? What does it mean to do carbon capture? We talked about sequestration. What are some of the realities of sequestration? And so we're going to dive deeper 
with a number of episodes really focused each on some of those technologies to help our audience here understand the viability of these. Again, it's we're not inventing new things. We're taking technologies that have been around and we're just applying them now to this space. So I hope folks tune into those episodes as we take those deep dives into those technologies and, and really explain them in more detail. Great, Brian. Well, I guess until next time. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you want more information about today's episode, check out the resources available in our show notes. I'm your host, Jeff Goldmere, and this is Cutting Carbon.